But in his introductory comments to this particular section, he wrote this. He said, Oh, to be early with God. To give him the dew of the day of life is to make the most of life. Let me read that again. Oh, to be early with God. To give him the dew of the day of life is to make the most of life. This second section of the psalm flows from the first. In fact, there's some parallelism between the two. There's some corollary between the two. In the first section, as we learned last week, is that, is that blessed way. And then now, the psalmist moves to encourage that blessed way to the young. The way of life is not something to wait for. Young people, let me say that again. The way of life is not something to wait for. To the start someday when you get older. How many times I've heard that from others. I will start to get right with the Lord or I'll start going to church when I get older. When I have a family, when I have children. The psalmist's words for you today is, do not wait. Start it. Young, start that way now because it is indeed to make the most of life. This is a wonderful psalm, psalm, very applicable. I think applicable even to, to our culture today. Many reasons for that. One is that I think there's a sense in which in our culture, even in our church culture, it's crept into the life of the church that we are obsessed with celebrity. That we're obsessed with the famous. We're obsessed with that which is just awesome. And maybe I should put it that way. Maybe that's our obsession. We're obsessed with the amazing. Whatever it might be. I can't help but to think every time I think of that <clears throat> reality of the, uh, a scene in one of my favorite movies, The Incredibles. And where this little neighbor kid is standing or sitting in Bob's driveway on his little tricycle. When Bob gets home from work, Bob is, of course, frustrated because things didn't go at work the way that he wanted them to go. And he gets out of his car, he slams his door, he looks back, and this little boy is just staring right at him. And as Bob gets out, he goes, so what are you waiting for? And the little boy, of course, says, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. And Bob says, yeah, me too, kid. Me too. We all are kind of, in some sense, we want to experience the amazing, the something awesome. And you may be wondering, why, tell, why, why start like that? Well, I remember even as a child hearing testimonies of those who have, had been redeemed from um, decadent lifestyles. That their, that their testimony to hear it was just incredible. It was just amazing. Where I would say things as a child and say something like, and you've heard me say this before, oh, I wish I had a testimony like that. But you know, me saying that was rooted in my own misunderstanding of the depth of my own sin. Because for after all, I didn't think I was that bad. 
for God to save me. It didn't take the same kind of grace that it might take to save this other person. That's how I thought, anyway. But I wanted an amazing testimony because then maybe, then maybe God could use me for something. And I remember hearing a story many, many years ago that really encouraged me in this way. I've shared this with some of you in counseling. I've shared with it in some of you in different settings before, maybe even from a sermon at some point or the other. But here's the story that I had heard. Two men lived on the same mountaintop in a small Colorado town. One was, one was a newcomer to the area and the other was an old timer. He had lived there his whole life. And in the evening in this town, many of the town folks would gather together in this little pub down in the town and they would just visit for the evening. And one snowy night, as the old timer was sitting at the bar, the new fella came in through the front doors with a crutch under one arm and the other in a cast. And he said, oh my, I've got to tell you all this story. You'll never believe it. It is amazing. I was coming down the mountain in my truck when I slid off the road. I rolled three times down the side of it. But amazingly, the truck was stopped by two big old pines. The truck, of course, it was totaled. It was totaled. But, but if it hadn't been stopped, I certainly would have suffered more than a broken leg and a broken arm. I would have suffered as much as the truck and I certainly would have died. Isn't that amazing? God is so powerful. God is so gracious. His grace so deep that He saved me from certain death in that accident. And the old timer looked at him and he said, yes, God is amazing. His grace is so deep. And for that, He's to be praised. But then he said, let me tell you another story. He said, I've been driving that same road for 57 years. 56 winters. I've come up and down that snowy and icy road. And not once have I had an accident. Isn't that amazing? God is so powerful. His grace so deep that He's kept me all those years safe from harm. And I'm still driving my same old truck. And for that, he's to be praised. To start early with God is to make the most of life. All testimonies, all testimonies of the Lord's work testify to the power and the grace of God. But some testimonies come with more pain, with more loss, and with more scars than others. You young people, our heart's desire for you is to have a testimony of the grace and power of God that doesn't come with scars and hurt and pain. You young people, while of course this is for all of us, this is specifically a message from the psalmist to you.
So I want us to look at it in two ways. Pure ways and righteous delight. Let's look first, shall we, to pure ways. And the psalmist begins with that rhetorical question that the, that, that way of blessedness that he had been speaking of in the first section, how is it that a young man keep that way pure? And so he asks that very thing, doesn't he? How can a young man keep his way pure? And that's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question to ask. It's a great question to be answered. Because if that's the way of blessedness, if that's the way of happiness, if that's the way that glorifies God and is good, in fact, best for the young man, then how does he keep it? And isn't that what we want for young believers? Isn't that what we want for young people? Isn't that what we want for our own children? And isn't that what we want for any child? And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when our motivations shift, that it's not the glory of God and the good of the child, and our motivations somehow shift, and things sometimes do, it's easy for us to do that, isn't it? Particularly as parents. Because even as parents, sometimes it becomes more about protecting our own reputations. We want, we, we want other people to think well of us. We want other people to think we've got it figured out. And we often try to find our own identity or even our own righteousness in what our children do. But if that becomes our motivation, brothers and sisters, we're, we're likely to respond in anger. We're likely to respond in ways that protect ourselves and our own reputations before others. And then it's not for God's glory and the good of that young person, but actually we are doing what we're doing for self-serving reasons. Our desire that young men or that young women walk in the way shouldn't be that, so that we can look good in front of others. And by the way, you parents of young children, teens, preteens, if that's the case, you're going to be let down. You're going to be disappointed. And you're going to respond from selfishness rather than from godliness. So what's the answer? Well, the psalmist gives it to us, doesn't he? By guarding it according to your word. Young people, again... It may seem that I've been encouraging your parents for the last couple of minutes or that older generation, and I have, but this is to you. Guard your way with the Word of God. Guard your way with the Word of God. Look to the Lord's Word and not to the wisdom of the world. Look to the Lord's word and not to your own wisdom. And yes, you are often going to think that you know what's right and good for yourself, for others, even for the world around you. In fact, you may be utterly convinced that you are right. And we know you're going to do that because guess what? We old people, we've been there, done that. We've thought it too. 
We've thought it too. But bow the knee to the Lord's word. Even when you think you're not being heard. And there will be those times. You not think you're being listened to. You're not being respected. Nobody really understands what you're saying. And, and, and goodness gracious, if they did really understand what you're saying, then they would agree with you. That's what you think. Because that's what I think. It's what I've thought. And that's not to say that you don't need to learn, that you don't need to learn to think, that you don't need to learn to reason and learn to communicate. Indeed, you do. But by what standard are you doing those things? And the psalmist says the standard is the Lord's Word. In Ephesians, Paul, calls, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yes, you obey your parents when you live under their authority. But you do so, how does Paul say it? In the Lord. How will you learn the in the Lord part? By His Word. According to God's Word. So again, I say to you, the Bible isn't just for old people. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And for us older people, we ought to be able to say with the psalmist, notice what he says, with my whole heart I seek you, he says, let me not wander from your commandments. Notice how he says this, as this older writer looks back on his life, he can say, I seek you, Lord. He's lived a life of devotion to the Lord. His desires have been for the Lord. For those of us who are older, can we say that as well? And it's not a boastful statement that he's making. How do we know that? Because he understands, even as a mature believer. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. What does he understand? He knows the flesh and he knows the battle that ensues therein. And and it's interesting, the word wander here... It's such an appropriate word. Uh, it's used in the Hebrew, it's used like it is here, to, to wander or to stray. But in the Hebrew, it's also used in other ways. It's used for such words as swerve, or to meander, or to even to reel and to roll like a drunk person. This is the picture that the psalmist is giving. It gives us a picture of lostness. It gives us a picture of meandering without direction. It gives us a picture of one stumbling along the way of life without any balance, without any knowledge. It reminds me of where Paul is speaking to um, of Christian maturity in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And of course, what's the context there in Ephesians 4? Gifts given to the church for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And from where does that come? It comes from the Word of God. And, and, and think of the relevancy, the relevancy of, of this psalm to life even today. And before we, before we get to that particularly though, let's, let's look at verse 11 where the psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, 
to the relevancy part, to the faith, to the application. How is it? How do you not wander around like a drunken sailor on, a, on an unmoored, rudderless ship? How do you not sin against the Lord? By bowing to His Word, by sub- submitting to His Word, by knowing His Word, by obeying His Word, by having it, as the psalmist says, stored Stored in my heart that I might not sin against thee. By having it stored in our hearts such that when we're faced with the deceitful schemes of the enemy, when we're faced with the human cunning within the world, when we're, um, um, or any of those things, we're we're not rocked, we're not uh, frightened, we're not moved. But we face temptation and we stand firm on the word of the Lord. In a world where if, if anger and passion were evidence of truth, you'd think everything was true, wouldn't you? All you got to do is listen to the news, whether it's on social media or you read it or listen to it on social media or on the news or on a podcast. Everybody's angry and passionate about whatever it is they are angry and passionate about. And if truth were determined by that, we would think that everything must be true. How do we live in a world like that? How do we make decisions in a world like that? What do we believe in a world like that? Who do we believe in a world like that? Your word, Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. here's Here's the remedy for living in a world like we live in. The Word of God. In fact, it gives such encouragement to the psalmist that here it's almost, it's almost as if he reaches this point of doxology. I mean, it's all been praised. So in a sense, it's, it's all doxology. But it's, it's like he's almost to reach a, a point of climax. And, he, and, and here in the middle, he goes, blessed are you, Lord. He's talking about the law of God. And he says, blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. He understands and he knows the the good and the grace that's given to him by the Lord in the Lord giving him the law. He knows that that's what he can trust. And he wants more of it. He wants to grow in it. He understands that God's Word, as we learned last week, is, is no mere uh, cistern, but it is a, truly a fountain of life. That it, that it keeps on giving. Not to be trite, but it, it truly is the gift that keeps on giving. We never get to the bottom of it. And God's given it to His people. What a gift He's given to us. And and the psalmist understands that there's never a time that he comes to in his life and he goes, I've heard it all. I get it. I don't need it anymore. I know enough of it. I finally reached that point. I've reached the depths of God's word. 
Never. Never a time. I've said to you before that one of the most common things to hear from graduating seminary students is that the one thing they've learned in seminary is how much they don't know and how much more there is to know. That's a truism. That's a truism. How much more there is to learn of the wonder of God. We sang it last week, didn't we? I think we did. Oh, the depths of the riches. From Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wonders of God. The more we learn of Him and of His Word, the deeper we know Him. The more we praise Him and the deeper our delight in Him. And it is indeed a righteous delight. The psalmist says here, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. The psalmist is a, he he not only is a poet, but he's a declarer of the truth. He's a declarer of the word of God. He loves the law of God in such a way that that he declares it. And I love this part because again, there's so many different ways of application here. It's so relevant to everyday living, so relevant to faith and to life. And it's not just declaring it to others. That indeed is part of it. Because after all, in the context where we are here in the second part of the psalm, is that it's t- he's talking about the young man. What does the young man need? The young man needs the word of God. Part of that is for somebody to declare that to him. So the psalmist is the declarer of that truth. The young man needs to read it. He needs to know it himself, but he also needs to hear it. He needs to be taught it. And the mature believer declares the word of God to and for others. I can't help but to think of Deuteronomy chapter 6 here as we think of telling our children of the Word of God, teaching our children, as we think even of telling others. What does that look like? And, and certainly it might look differently between telling our children and telling somebody outside of our own family or even outside of the life of the church. It might look different. But back in Deuteronomy, back in the after the second giving of the law. Of course, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have a a second giving of the law. And then in chapter 6, we come to what's called the Shema, that famous part of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema simply because in in the Hebrew, Shema means to hear. And this this is quite interesting. We've learned this before here at Trinity Grace, that in the Hebrew, the word to hear and to obey, guess what? It's the same word. It's the same word. And we get that, don't we? Because even as parents, if we tell our child to do something, our child doesn't do it, what's the next thing we say? Did you hear me? What are we implying? That to hear is indeed to obey. That's exactly what the Bible teaches us. But at any rate, that was was free. Um, We... The the Lord then, after the Shema, the Lord then instructs them as um, how they are to live when they come into the land. A land that was given to them, which there's this emphasis here. This land was given to them, cities they did not build, to homes they did not fill, to cisterns they did not dig, to vineyards and olive trees that they did not 
plant. So when they come there, what had God had commanded them? They are not to forget the Lord. They are not to forget His law. They are not to turn away from Him. I mean, don't you just hear the psalmist's heart here in Deuteronomy chapter 6? It's the very thing that the psalmist is calling for. And then, and then the Lord says, And when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. That's the same thing we learned from the very beginning in the preface of the Ten Commandments that we talked about last week and I have talked about several times before. Ten Commandments are prefaced by what? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. The law of God flows from the grace of God. The law of God. We respond in obedience to the Lord because of what He has already done for us. Here in Deuteronomy 6, we have the same thing. Brothers and sisters, when your son or your daughter ask you, what's the meaning of all the commands of the Lord that you declare with your lips? How do you answer that? You answer that like this. We were slaves of the flesh. We were in bondage to our sin and the Lord brought us out of sin and slavery with a mighty hand, with His own right arm, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's given us life and peace and joy. That's the meaning of those things. And when others in the world, with those with whom you work, or go to school, or whatever it is, when and if they ask you, hey, why don't you do what we do? Why don't you do as the world does? Why are you different? How do you answer? Because God's Word says this, and He has redeemed me. And given me eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's why I'm different. And what are we doing? We are declaring, aren't we? The word of God. We are declaring the law of God. And we are declaring at the same time the gospel of God. And it's not just, and this is one of the reasons why I like this so much. It's not just declaring this to others, but it's also declaring it to ourselves. You've heard me speak of the importance of this in the past. And that is, uh, we need to learn to declare the truth of the Lord's Word to ourselves. And we need to do so both with the law as well as with the gospel. And we are, we are indeed. And this is worth reminding ourselves. We're good at listening to ourselves. We're good at that. But usually when we listen to ourselves, we are actually listening to our flesh. And our flesh, you know what our flesh says to us? Our flesh says, hey, you can do that. 
it's not really that bad. God didn't really mean that when he wrote that. You can do that. That's what our flesh tells us. It lies to us about the law of God, doesn't it? And then when we fail, then when we fail and we have no hope, what does our flesh tell us? Our flesh, shall, our flesh says, see, I told you, you're no good. You're rotten. You can't live up to that standard. You might as well give up because you're never going to be good enough and there is no hope for you. So our flesh not only lies to us about the law, our flesh lies to us about the gospel. Isn't it remarkable that our flesh gets both the law and the gospel wrong? And so no wonder we wander when we listen to our flesh. No wonder the young man needs to be reminded of how to keep his way pure. Because not only does the world around us lie to us, seek to deceive us, strive to cheat us, but our flesh does the very same thing. And guess what we often do? We listen to it. And we believe it. We need to learn to declare the truth to ourselves. Again, you've heard me say over and over and over again, learn to preach the gospel to yourselves. And that is true. Do that. But both of these things are true. Declare the truth, the whole counsel of God, the law of God in all its beauty, perfection, wonder, grace, and holiness. And the gospel of God in all its beauty, perfection, wonder, grace, and holiness. Because when we get both of those things right, guess what? There is where we find delight. When we understand both the law and the gospel. Then we can say, as the psalmist says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Because when we're not seeing either one of those things correctly, we can't say this. But when we view the law of right aright, it becomes wonderful. When we view the gospel aright, it becomes wonderful. And when those things are wonderful, his word is precious to us. And we delight in it. And we delight in it more than the things of the world. More than riches, more than reputation, more than possessions, more than comfort, more than ease, more than all of those things. As those redeemed from slavery and sin, those redeemed from the curse of the law, we can say with the psalmist, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Again, this isn't a prideful boasting. It's not a, I can do this. I can do this. It's not that. But it is a desire of the heart, isn't it? It's the desire of the psalmist's heart. And it is, I mean, and you can almost sense his heart. You, you are God. You are my God. And I am yours. And I will follow you. I'll fix my eyes on your ways and not the ways of the world. I will look to you and not the things around me for, for direction, for hope, satisfaction, and life. And I will do that because why? Because you are my God and you've redeemed me. And I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will not delight in those things that are opposed to you 
or that you're opposed to. I'll not take pleasure in things that grieve you, Lord. But I will take pleasure in your statutes, in your word, and I won't forget it. I'll not turn my back on you or your word. Now, all of us, I hope, would at least upon hearing that say, yes, amen. That's what I desire. That's what I desire. I want to live like the psalmist with that trust, with that conviction of the word of God. Oh, I want that to be mine. I want to be able to look at my life in the past I want to be able to look at my life in the present and in the future, in days to come, and say things like this. I, I, I have sought the Lord and I delighted in Him. In him. I am seeking the Lord and I uh, delight in Him. And I will seek the Lord and I will delight in Him. I hope that's our heart. I hope that's our heart. That's the psalmist's heart here. And that might be our heart when we understand the law and the gospel aright. Sometimes. And we all know, and we struggle with this, that we all know that we don't, we don't have that kind of record of obedience. Certainly of and in ourselves. You're right. I don't. You don't. That, that perfect trust and faith. You don't. But if you know Jesus, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, you want to hear some good news this morning? Yes, you do. You do have that record of obedience. It's a record that's been imputed to you. He's earned it. But it's been imputed to you. The Bible tells us that Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that His one act of obedience, and when he says that one act of obedience, he's including that referring to His entire life, all the way up to and through His death on the cross, his obedience leads to justification and life for you. You do have that record of obedience. With all the encouragement, with all the call, with all the call to obedience... An emphasis on the law in this psalm. There's also that same emphasis on pointing us to Christ. And so, I want you to leave here this morning and live in the light and the joy of that truth. That Jesus' record of obedience has been imputed to you.
Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you that that is true. That for those who know the Lord Jesus, that is true. What a joy. May we live in light of that reality. And may we even be reminded of it now as we come to this, to the Lord's table. Of that which has been done for us in Christ Jesus. Yes, he lived that perfect life. And he died the death that we deserve. He gave his body and shed his blood. To pay for us not doing that which we ought to do. Remind us of that this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For I received from the Lord what also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed...